Hi everyone, I'm David Green. Welcome to episode 4 of series 12 of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. In this series, we're taking a closer look at Talent Marketplace, what it is, why it's important, and how companies are using it. My guest in this week's episode of the podcast is Karen Powell, Chief Talent and Learning Officer at IQVIA. Karen emphasizes that Talent Marketplace goes far beyond being a technology solution. Instead, it's a far broader cultural shift that permeates across the organization and enables a whole new way of thinking about talent. In our conversation, Karen and I discuss how HR and the business are working together to drive transformational change at IQVIA with Talent Marketplace. We look at why a skills-based view of talent is critical for workforce planning. We talk about how Talent Marketplace helps companies understand productivity in a new and deeper way. And we look at whether Talent Marketplace will mean that jobs won't exist anymore. This episode is a must listen for anyone interested or involved in HR transformation, internal mobility, workforce planning, people analytics, and HR technology. So that's business leaders, chief HR officers, and anyone in a people analytics, workforce planning, learning, or HR business partner role. Support for this podcast is brought to you by Gloat. Gloat's AI-powered talent marketplace allows enterprises to break down the silos, slowing them down, and enables agile, future-ready workforces. Gloat matches employees with internal opportunities by autonomously aligning talent capabilities and aspirations with the needs of the business. As a result, managers gain frictionless access to untapped talent at speed, reducing their reliance on hiring externally, while employees gain access to meaningful development opportunities and experiences, including projects, new full-time roles, mentorships, and more. The real-time data generated by the platform provides leaders with immediate visibility into the skills, aspirations, and availability of the workforce. Gloat pioneered the talent marketplace category and is trusted by some of the world's leading global enterprises today, including Unilever, Schneider Electric, Standard Chartered Bank, PepsiCo, Nestle, and many more. To find out more, visit gloat.com. That's G-L-O-A-T.com. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Karen Powell, Chief Talent and Learning Officer at IQVIA, to the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Welcome to the show, Karen. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. It's nice to be here. Can you provide listeners with a a brief introduction to your background and your role at IQVIA? Sure. Like, as you said, I head up talent and learning for IQVIA. So what uh, that means is basically everything that touches talent, everything that touches learning, um, except for talent acquisition. And if you think about our company, we're a human data science company across 80,000 people in 100 countries. And I've been here two years and in uh, talent learning, probably for close to 20, 25 years, actually, uh, based in New York and uh, Australian prior to that. So you can hear that by the accent. Um, But um, when I think about talent learning and what we're focused on right now, it's really on the future um, and future proofing of our organization. Great. And I know we're going to talk about something that you guys are doing that's really going to, going to support that. Um, we're talking a lot today about talent marketplace and talent marketplaces. You know, where are you currently in your talent marketplace journey? And maybe as an addition, what do you mean by talent marketplace in IQVIA? 
so I think about it as a bunch of pieces of puzzles or puzzle pieces. I think that's probably the best way to talk about it. And it's definitely a journey. It's not a, a one size fits all. And when I think about it, I think about um, a number of different pockets. And I think we are um, at different maturity levels, depending on the pocket that fits within the journey. So I think about um, we're maturing when it comes to things like connecting our business strategy and our talent and our skills and what we need to execute on our strategy. I think we are, what I would say is in evolving mode of understanding the critical skills that we have. And when I think about the proficiency levels that we need and how do I measure the current proficiency levels, so I think that comes into it. Um, I think uh, we're evolving in the roadmaps that we're building to close some of those critical skill gaps, so upskilling, reskilling. And then I think when people talk about um, you know, the the talent matching talent platforms, the mechanisms. I'd say we're at our infancy, quite honestly. Um, we're probably about four months into our technical journey. And I think of it um, as really a minimal viable product. Um, and we're looking at, you know, how do we have a mechanism that helps us facilitate that marketplace, the skills that we need with the skills that we have, and how do we learn how to mobilize those, identify and mobilize those quickly. And I suppose in your role, having responsibility across talent minus talent acquisition, it enables you to, is just, is to go through that whole journey, which I think is important, isn't it? If you're thinking about talent, a talent marketplace it connects a lot of traditional silos in HR together. Well, it has to, right? And it's not just talent and learning or even TA. Uh, if you're not tied at the hip with the business, if you don't understand the business um, strategy, if you don't understand uh, what you have inside your four walls and where the business is making money, you can't, um, you know, pull the levers that you need to pull. And I'm, I'm actually really pleased that you said that you're starting with strategy because we speak to lots of people who just buy some technology and, and try and shoehorn it in. And ultimately, it has to start with strategy, as you say. So be interested, how are the business and HR working together in IQVIA um, on the transformation? And how have you, you know, as a part of that, how have you ensured senior stakeholder buy-in for, for Talent Marketplace? This too is a journey, I would say. So when I started two years ago, we really were, when we looked at workforce planning, we were really in the, um, I'm going to say, financial exercise, replacement planning exercise um, evolution. And I think when we sat at the table, you know, with the business, with HR, with finance, we recognised the cost um, of having a really heavy uh, buy strategy when it came to talent. And, you know, as we started to have a look at that, it wasn't sustainable. It's not sustainable when we look at the future, especially because we have such um, highly skilled labour forces and they're expensive. And so we had to sit at the table together and look at what it was um, from a skill perspective. I mean, we looked at it from a business perspective, obviously, business planning, but we had to have a look and break that business plan down by the skills that we needed to execute on that strategy. And I think the recognition was um, that we didn't really understand what we had when it came to skills inside our four walls. And we didn't know even how to find them quickly. And it was always the same players that were being called upon. And so we needed to really have a look at, um, you know, all of these gaps that we were identifying. And, um, you know, we went to market, we had a look at what was in the market, but we had the business there with us. You know, we brought people from our technology groups to the table, our finance groups to the table, um, and our consulting, internal consulting groups to the table, because uh, we've never 
professed it to be an HR platform. We very much said it was an enterprise initiative, an enterprise platform that we're gonna, it was going to help us all um, as we evolve into the future. And it has to, isn't it? it? It has to be connected to the business. Otherwise, you know, why do it? <laughs> There's no point, right? I mean, we're all here because we have to make money for the business, right, in one form or another. And um, so that's the reality of it is like, how do we make sure that the organization is evolving and being profitable? And then we as employees are contributing our skills, you know, and the things we bring to the table so that we each have a piece of it. So I think we both said it, it's not, you know, talent marketplace is not just a technology solution. We've talked about the importance of connecting it with the business strategy and breaking, as you said, breaking down to the skills that, that, that you need and you want to develop. It's actually, it's a far broader cultural shift that permeates across the organisation. You know, and I know you've said that before about that. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, look, it's a mechanism. It's a platform. It is one piece of the puzzle. And I think if people think it's a one-shot deal, um, it's pretty delusional, to be quite honest, because it really is, you've got to be in for the long haul. And when I think about it, we've got to shift a whole culture. We have 80,000 people. And when I look at what we need to do, we need to shift our organization to stop thinking about like-for-like replacement. We've got to stop the organization thinking about purely job descriptions and how do we break up uh, the job descriptions or the jobs that need to be done into the skills that we need to do those things. We need to shift that mindset on even career development about growth and experiences versus upward movement, you know, so that we're always energizing our people. We need to change you know, even our processes um, and moving from um, traditional performance management here at IQVIA, um, you know, we're trying to make it more than just a once a year activity. We want to make sure it's around business goals and personal goals, but really making sure that it's about ongoing contributions and changes in priorities in the market, in the business, so that people actually recognize how they're impacting our business outcomes, regardless of the seats that they sit in and what they bring to the table. So I think you know, all of those pieces are incredibly important in shifting um, the organisation so they're along for the ride. But I also think with COVID, obviously, we've moved um, to a more hybrid environment and have to help people recognise we're never going back to where we were and how do we help people recognise what that means for the future and how do we support leaders to um, support their teams and coach their talent through all of this. So, you know, there's a lot that happens on the people side and obviously there's a lot that happens on the technical side. It'd be interested to explore that in two ways. Firstly, what are some of the ways you're affecting that change management with the business? You know, if you think about new ways of working, but also actually thinking a little bit differently anyway with, with, with looking at talent marketplace and, and the associated uh, activities around that. Yeah, I mean, I, there's a number of things that we're doing as an organization um, that are not even uh, related to the actual platform, the mechanism, you know, and it really is starting with, you know, what are uh, the actions that we need to take as an organization to future proof ourselves, right? So that's obviously, uh, you know, the, the saying with doing more with less, I think is, is a bit of a backward saying. It's like, we should be doing more with um, less human bodies and doing it more with technology, right? And so it's how do we redeploy and get people to recognize that the rote type of actions that we're all doing on a day-to-day -day basis, how do we shift that so it's more high-value work? But if you don't link that high-value work to the overall enterprise strategy and then obviously the strategy within your business or the strategy within your desk, if you can't link the two, 
um, then you don't really know why you're coming to work other than to make widgets, right? And so the idea of, for our whole organisation is, you know, we have a tagline that talks about bolder, smarter, leaner. And it's like, what do those mean? And what do those mean for you and your seat? So we have a very big uh, communication push that's going across the organisation. And it's all about the people in our organisation and how we all affect change and how we are working with our clients, um, whether internal or external, doesn't matter, but how we, we inform and affect and impact all of that. And um, I think people are starting to realise it doesn't matter if you work in HR or you work in accounts payable or finance or if you're client-facing, we all have a piece of the puzzle. And if we don't all pull our weight, um, that I think that's important. The other part that I would say is part of our change management. So that's a whole communication plan, right, and helping people connect the dots. But I also think when we start to talk to people about what they like to do, uh, for a living and what energizes them, what excites them, what their skills are, you know, their strengths are, when they realize they can do more of those things, and less of the, you know, the soul sucking things, people also start to get more engaged. And so we then do, we've got a whole plan around their employee engagement and the levers uh, that affect employee engagement. And again, these are all working groups that we have um, where we sit at the table with the business and we work together um, with the business. So and I think the second part of your question was about HR. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I suppose the first part, you've just to, to summarised, I suppose what you're effectively helping do through through change and communication and then technology to support that is help people own their own careers within within the organisation and and develop as they want to develop, which, which, and then there's a benefit that it supports the business as well. Of course. And I think that that's the thing is that we can say often that people have to take responsibility for their own career, but we also have to give them all the tools and the guidelines and the support to get there. And then the second part was HR. What does it mean, you know, what does it mean for HR? It's kind of new way of working, I guess, you know, and how do you affect that change within HR? So I think it's similar, right? Um, you know, HR need to understand that they're not there to be a pair of hands for the business, you know, and I think for many years we've been talking about HR being more strategic and you see it every day. And I think, you know, when we're talking about the business and the skills for the future for the business, we have to put some effort into HR and we have to be able to say to HR, you know, the skills that you're going to need for the future include the same things as what we're professing for the business and developing in the business. So whether it's, you know, from digital technology um, experiences right through to making sure that you're curious and giving you opportunities uh, to be curious and to move um, you know, into and out of projects that, uh, again, energize you or tap into your skills. And so I think um, there's a, a lot of work we're doing here to upskill our HR population in line with our business. Yeah. And typically, again, the last question on this is, you know, what are the types of skills that, you're, that HR is having to learn? I mean, I presume it's stuff around data capability, digital, those sorts of things. Well, I think one of the biggest things, I mean, because we all know data drives everything and I think if people can't tell a story with the data um, that's probably top of our list I think when we talk about that it's not just telling the story but it's being able to pull out the insights and that is a skill in of itself right and it's not an easy one that people um, aren't just running reports you know what does it mean and how do you link it to other data which is actually going to impact the business so I think that one is a big one I also think um, and people call it executive presence I'm not sure if that's a, a great description. I think it's presence in the business. So they have the confidence to say no and to challenge and to have more of that consulting mindset, you know, and the active listening and digging deeper because 
you know, the business don't have all the answers. HR don't have all the answers. How do we, you know, bounce it together and get to the right place? And so I think um, that's another piece that I think is is a really big piece. And then HR have a lot on their shoulders and it's impossible for them to know everything that's in the four walls of an organisation, whether it's from benefits to you know, each of the COEs. And so something we're really focused on this year is helping them um Cut through the noise, I guess, and find, you know, what is it that the COEs bring to the table and when can you bring them in to help support you? Because it's impossible um, for them to have all the answers, as I said. So I think it's it's those type of things um, and understanding, you know, business acumen and, you know, yes, revenues may be great, but margins may be short. You know, so how do you figure out the the your connection to the business and the impact in the market? It's interesting. It's a familiar story that I hear from from lots of your peers, actually. So, um, so last time, last time we spoke, you know, you used a great analogy that turning on talent marketplace is like turning up a dimmer, not flicking on a light switch, which I really like. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about that? I can. Um, you know, it's funny when I hear you say that because it's. I think back to when I was younger. I always thought, you know, crossing things off the list, um, you know, success. So, you know, but when I look behind me, I hadn't actually brought everyone along for the ride. I just brought small groups people along for the ride um, and when I think about um, turning the dimmer up um, I think it's more apt in uh, what success really is today because you know we're a large organization there is no way that you can bring people on, uh, along for the ride overnight so you slowly bring people to the table and you evolve and evolve and evolve and people are at different stages of readiness so you have to be able to to bring them when they're ready and you know when you look behind you all of a sudden, then everybody's there with you when you get to the light switch actually being on. So you've actually um, really instilled a change within the organisation, within behaviours, within the culture. Um, and I think talent marketplace is very much the dimmer um, because it's not a plug and play. You know, there's a lot that goes into it and it does take um, many years, I think, on the journey to get it not even right because it's never going to stay stagnant. It's always going to be evolving. And is it something that, again, you know, maybe at a more tactical level now, I mean, how would you encourage organisations to think about getting started with Talent Marketplace? Obviously, you've been on the journey for a couple of years and I'm sure you've learned some lessons and, and, and reflections on that now. But, yeah, where would you encourage people people start? Yeah, I think it's, you know, at the beginning I talked about the puzzle pieces and there are a lot of puzzle pieces that are part of the whole journey. And I think it starts, obviously, with data, um, without a doubt that and foremost and it's qualitative and quantitative but I also think there are a lot of questions that people need to ask before they go down the route of actually engaging a platform I think it's um, you know what is your business strategy what is it that's going to take to deliver on that strategy and I said earlier you know people are really good at putting the business plan together but you need to break that down and figure out what the skills that you're going to need to do that I think it's you know the question of do you even know what skills you have and if you do know do you know what level of proficiency you have if you look at um, where those skills are in your organization you can you deploy them quickly if you need to um, and I think you know the gap between that information is going to help you identify where uh, where um, you may need to look at different platforms or different mechanisms. Um, you know, I think even when you think about mindset, is your organisation ready to even move from replacement planning to a more agile workforce or strategic workforce planning? I think the mindset is a big deal for people to shift. Um, you know, and it's, I also think you need to know whether or not 
what the market looks like when it comes to skills. You know, do you know the skills you want and are they in short supply in your organization or in the market? Can they easily be built um, or do you need to go buy them? And where do you put your dollars that you have? Is it in the buy strategy or the build strategy? And so I think, you know, a lot of people say, you know, we don't have these formal mechanisms. Um, you know, we don't have workforce planning or strategic planning, but I think it's, you know, start small. We all do business operating reviews, you know, on a monthly, quarterly, yearly, whatever it is, you know, build it into that conversation because it is going to affect people's, you know, profitability. Um, I think build it into succession planning discussions. I think we all do action planning, whether, you know, we see bad turnover data or we see our survey data. I think build the, these kind of questions into your action planning. And I think, you know, when you look at internal and external data, there's a lot available that costs us very little. And I think people need to learn how to use their human um, resource systems, whether it's Workday or something else, um, you know, recruiting systems, platforms, CRMs, all of these are inside most people's four walls. And then when you look at externally, I mean, obviously there's things like LinkedIn and Talent Neuron, um, you know, that are all reasonably um, available. So I think there are a lot of questions that people need to ask. And I think to understand what it is um, that they're trying to fill, what need they're trying to fill before they go down uh, the, the role of, of, you know, engaging a platform. And as I said, you can't just plug it in and it goes. As you said, you know, I've, we've been on this journey in one form or another for a couple of years. And when I look at the platform itself, you know, we are starting really small because is such a big shift and um you know we're committed we think it's worth it um but we do know it's we're in for the long haul and in terms of starting small does that sometimes mean potentially you know maybe starting in a small you know in a business unit or a country in within the organization learning and and, and then iterating and building communicating it out further is that is that an approach that that you that you've either tried or would would think would be a sensible one yeah, it is. And and that's exactly where we are. We've identified critical jobs and critical skills within our organization. And we've taken one of those critical job families. Um, and we actually have multiple thousands of people in this, this job family. However, we're starting literally with, you know, small pockets of people that we're inviting in to fill out profiles. Then we're inviting another pocket of people to fill out or to put opportunities into, you know, the marketplace. Then we're inviting people in to see matching type of thing. So we're giving people roles and responsibilities as we're slowly um, iterating, you know, and I use the word minimal viable product. I mean, it's a fancy minimal viable product, admittedly, but uh, with the business and the people we're bringing in, in, in small groups, um, they're aware that they're there to help us evolve it. So they're giving us feedback and they're, you know, sharing how they would use it with their team. So, you know, and even when we think about what's going into the system, we're being really cautious about how we're putting parameters around some of the, the opportunities and we're putting parameters around um, the framing and the communication around the invitations into it. So, yes, it's got to be, um, it can't be all or nothing. Um, I think it would fail, yeah. And the type, you know, just interesting, what are the types of opportunities that you've got in the marketplace? Is it like, is it permanent roles? Is it is it project-based stuff or is it a bit of both? Right now we're starting with small projects um, and when I mean small, I mean we're putting parameters like we are only allowing people to sign up for five hours a week. And the reason we're doing that is obviously we want to control it because we don't want 
people not doing their day job or their managers um, not being supportive. So we're trying to do it, um, you know, whether it's on top of your day job or you take five hours a week out of your day job. It's really about how do we get people testing their waters, putting their toes in to see if people are actually going to, A, put in decent opportunities for people, um, but also then the skills that other people are bringing to the table, uh, that they're actually bringing uh, impactful skills to the table to add value to the project. And so as we start evolving that and find out what success looks like, we'll evolve it and open up that five hours. Um, you know, we have a lot of billable resources, so we have to balance with, um, you know, what's billable to the client, which is obviously this isn't, but what's billable to us as an organisation as part of development. Um, so we have to look at all of that. Um, once we get through those hurdles, we'll start looking at uh, full-time jobs. And so we're starting on the back end already looking at what it's going to take to do that. Uh, the other part is mentoring. Um, we're looking at if we can, we are doing a small pilot and a couple of hundred people where we want to do the matching through mentoring and see what the impact is because there are some restrictions on whether you can ring fence groups and whether you should, you know. So we're going through all of that philosophical um, pieces of that now. So, yeah, they're the areas right now, the small projects and mentoring and then evolving to full-time projects. Anyone listening here, you can see that it, it supports you with closing gaps that you've got, which might be temporary or they might be, as you said, quite you know small, few hours a week um, or something, but, but helps learning, helps people maybe utilise some of the skills that they've got that they might not be using in their main role, but actually to use those skills in, in other worlds, because I guess that helps learning and development. And then the whole thing around experience, it provides a bit of variety as, again. And, and, and that, it's that collaboration as well. There's so much in there, there so many benefits that you can think of. They're just the ones off the top of my head. So. It's totally true. And you think about, you know, we can't afford, and I'm saying me as, as a QVO we, um, we can't afford to replace really highly expensive, highly technical um, skill sets uh, for like-for-like replacement. Right. And so and so the question becomes is, do we need to some areas? Of course, we're going to need to. But in some areas, we don't. We just need that skill for a period of time. So how do we balance the two needs and how do we make sure that, um, you know, a one headcount maybe can be used in three different projects throughout a year, um, that it's a value add for all of us, for the person, the employee and for the organization. So it's. Um, it sounds like a no-brainer, right? But it's it's not easy to you know, facilitate this. No, no. But, yeah, I mean, you can see where where you, you could go with this. It's a much more flexible way of workforce planning and running an organisation, frankly. Um, I'd like to dig in a little bit more to um, the skills-based view. You, we've talked about that a little bit here. You know, why do you think the skills-based view of talent is so critical for workforce planning today? Yeah, and I think it comes back to what I just said about, um, you know, we're in need of skills that are in high demand. and I you know, from an IQVIA perspective, you know, we've got medical, we've got data, um, scientists, uh, technology skills. And so when I look at all of those skills, it's like it comes down to the dollars and cents, right? And it's like as an organization, if we want to continue to be profitable, if we want to partner with our clients to make sure um, that we are um, being cost effective, cost efficient, um, all of these things are really important to be able to be agile. And I think it's, as an organisation, we have to look at the different um, ways to do that. And as I said, some jobs will always be jobs. Some will be need to be more agile. And it's also, it comes down to the people, right? Some people want to work in a job and be very clear about what they're doing. 
and other people, their success is because they're always being challenged by new projects. So it's a win-win when it comes down to um, how an organisation effectively leverages its talent and its skills and it comes down to what's going to engage employees um, in the right way. Um, and obviously it all comes out to profitability and production and impact and all of those type of things. So, yeah. Yeah, it leads quite nicely to the, the next question really is potentially helps you understand productivity in a new way. Uh, without a doubt. Um, and I think you know, within organisations, it's not just about productivity of the organisation, it's productivity of the people, right? And it's like it's a new way of working. It's like we've moved from caring about FaceTime or the hours in the office and we're measuring people less on those type of things and really looking at what is the impact, what are they bringing to the table, what are they producing for clients. And if we're producing for clients in a more effective, more efficient, more engaged way, prices come down. You know, clients are, are going to engage that we're not going to have the overhead. So I think it's part of our value proposition as an organisation that we're more efficient, we can get to market quicker, we can produce quicker, um, and it's a part of the value proposition for employees that we can leverage their strengths. You know, and I always talk about I want to do things that don't suck the life out of me, um, you know, and that's what engages me. So people, I think, think more in that respect than it just being productivity of, you know, widget, the amount of, you know, hours you spent in front of a computer or in an office. Um, so I think the whole look at productivity is changing. Which again, links quite nicely. You talked about, I mean, a lot of times when people talk about productivity, it's very much thinking about the company perspective. I like the way that you're thinking about it from an employee perspective as well. And I guess that's part of the overall value proposition of talent marketplace to the employee as well. You know, right. we've talked about some of these, but it'd be great for you to maybe, even if you recap, sort of summarise some of the areas where you would believe that this is really creating a value proposition for employees. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it comes down to, like, we all bring strengths to the table. We will never be good at everything. And, you know, within our jobs, we have parts of our job that energise us and engage us and um, help us produce, you know, dramatically fast or, or quality. Um, and then we have times where we're doing things that we just don't want to do and, quite frankly, we're not good at. So why not? spend our time or make a choice on whether we want to spend our time doing things that are leveraging our strengths. And, you know, by doing that, we're engaged, we're producing more, we're producing quicker, better quality, um, continuously engaged. So it comes back to when you think about the strategy of talent, the building versus buying of talent, um, it's we always have to buy some, right? That's never going to go away. But think about internally by having a look at the skills that we need, the skills that we can develop internally, it allows for people to have multiple opportunities and movement if that's what they want to do and if that's where the business wants to support it. You know, it's, again, the mechanism isn't going to um, be the panacea of everything, but it is something that will help facilitate the match. But you do that in combination with your workforce planning or strategic planning, with your training and development, um, with the shift in the uh, agile culture of an organisation and it becomes a... a, a People want to stay, employees are going to want to stay at the organisation, they're going to want to stay engaged and produce, and people are going to want to come and work at your organisation. You know, so I think it's a win-win from every aspect of people coming into the organisation, people staying in the organisation, and then obviously the flow-on effect is productivity, which is for the organisation's win. I mean, interesting, I mean, I know obviously you're not quite early stages, but, but you're still not 
fully this isn't fully rolled out across the organization how we, how will you measure success or how are you measuring success <laughs> we have lots of ideas <laughs> But I think, it, look, it comes down to, you know, it started right at the beginning when we looked to finance some of um, with this particular, you know, mechanism, the platform that helps match. Um, we had a look at the data of our turnover, for example, and we looked at what was the impact of reducing that turnover of these very highly expensive um, skills. And the reality was if we could decrease that turnover by a small margin um, and that was huge on our bottom line. And if you can move people internally and shift the mindset that you can have multiple careers in a four walls, if you do then have to backfill with an external, it's still cheaper internally because to do the movement because people, um, we know it's hard to come into an organization and navigate huge organizations. So when we look at all of these things, measurement of success is A, that we retain the talent that we need, that our cost to market, time to market, when it comes to our products and the things that we deliver um, are more efficient and more impactful. So it's looking at that. And we do, we've started linking things like our training, our movement, um, our data or to, to our talent attractors and talent detractors in the organization and linking that to impact on revenue. So we're starting to look at all of those type of things. It's not just turnover data. That in and of itself is just one data point. So, you know, there's a lot going into it. We're exploring a lot of different areas for success. But I think step one is that we want engagement in the platform. Um, we want people to recognize when they are hiring that it isn't like for like and they can look at it differently. Um, once we get the um, opportunities, you know, into the system, we want people to actually be matched and take up the opportunities. So all of these type of things. But we're also then building the, the business impact and the revenue impact measures um, so that we can start looking at those when we do have mass amounts of people within the platform. What are the kind of what are the kind of the next steps um, that you that you're looking at in terms of evolution? Be interested to see where you, where you think this will go next. Ask me in six months time. Um, but no, I think, look, I think it's, we've invited people for our stage one to participate in the platform. We're starting to get slow uptick, but we also know people are competitive. And so as people start to hear about it, people start to want to be part of it. Um, you know, so next step is really for us to engage the the pilot populations. And, you know, we have a timeline where we plan to bring in, you know, hundreds of people on a biweekly type basis into the platform. And so as we start to to evolve that, we'll see if we're on track or we're being overly, I don't know, overly ambitious. Or- ambitious is probably the word. Yes. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so I think it's, yeah, looking at all of those type of things. Um, so we're evolving and then we're doing that, you know, with this one group of business group, but then it's also shifting a mindset in the organization to let people know it's coming. And so people can get excited about it. And then slowly, as we start getting more and more interest, we'll start adding more and more people um, into the platform. You know, we're still obviously looking at the critical skills and, you know, data that can come out of the matching platforms is really important too, because I think that data helps us understand um, exactly what the demand and the supply is within our four walls. Because again, people will talk about we need X and we have Y, but until you actually see people saying, I need it right now, you, you know, you, so part of that will also then help us um, in the next evolution. So I think there's a, a, all these areas are happening in parallel, um, but we're hoping by middle of this year that we will have about 10,000 people in our platform. Um, 
that we hope will be, you know, and again, that may be overly ambitious, um, but that's, you know, we're on that trajectory um, at the moment. So that's where we're at. Great. And I suppose effectively to get those ten, those extra people in, it's a lot of it about the storytelling that you were telling earlier and giving the insights and communicating what the benefits are both to the organ and to the employees as well. Sounds good. Sounds like there's a, there's a lot of people analytics underpinning this. Oh, without a doubt. Look, we are an analytics company, you know, human data science. Um, and without, so, and look, and it proves the point. You can measure it if you're using data um, and you can get finance to buy into it. You can get the business to buy into it if you're using data. Without the data, um, it's all just fluff. I might quote you on that. Without the data, it's all just fluff. fluff. That's fantastic. <laughs> I really like it. So that leads, on, that leads on nicely. And I love the, the way that you're already thinking about the measure of success and tying that into finance because certainly – you know, in, in the work that, that, that we do, you know, a lot of people say, if you've got a tip around, you know, how you measure the impact of analytics, like work with finance at the outset before you do any work, agree how are you going to measure success, you know, whether that's in financial terms or in other terms. So really, really good. So it leads on nicely to the question that we're asking everyone on this series, actually. I love this question, actually. Will, will talent marketplaces mean that jobs don't exist anymore? Wow. I'll leave that one to you to answer. <laughs> Thanks very much. Um, look, I think it's a good question to continue to ask ourselves. But if I'm being honest, I don't think um, jobs are going away anytime soon. I think um, this is an opportunity for organisations to have a look at their job architecture and have a hybrid model um, like everything else that we're moving to our hybrid models for because I think we will need um, some constants um, in jobs or in organisations, depending on what the organisation does for a living. Um, but I do think that we're going to move more to um, the skills, the agile, less job for job replacement. I think we can't afford not to. And I think with the evolution of technology, of data, um, there is no need to. And I think when you look at you know what organisations need to make choices around, and what employees need to make choices around, you know, we both have choice um, now where, you know, and I think there's more choice and people, more people have choice. And so organisations are going to have to play in the sandbox. And I think employees are going to have to recognise um, that they're going to have to continue to upskill themselves all the time. So I do think there'll be a hybrid model, but I do think that um, the skill side of things will probably win out. Um, and it might be in my work time or it might be after I've retired, but I do think the skills are, are going to take um, top priority. Well, I suppose if you think if you're a data scientist working in HR, why can't you spend 10 hours a week being a data scientist working in marketing? You know, that helps the business. You might actually find that there's projects that you can combine together that benefit both parts of the organisation. And actually, a, you're, you're enhancing your skills and you're bringing two parts of the business together. So, yeah, I, I can definitely see it coming. And although you'd say I'm a data scientist, but I don't have a specific job as such. So, yeah, very interesting. Karen, a lot, before I ask you to for your, uh, how people can stay in touch with you, is there any question that I haven't asked you today around the work you're doing that you wish I'd asked you? I think we talked about everything, but I just, I think the one thing that I would let people, have people take away is the fact that it really is a long journey. And, you know, think of my light dimmer. It is going to take a long time to bring organizations along for the ride. 
And so, you know, it's important. It's not going away. I think people have to look at it as a long journey that's always evolving. Um, so I just, I would just leave people with that. Um, it's a big commitment, but it's definitely worth the commitment. Well, Karen, it's been great to catch up with you. Um, you know, thank you for being a guest on the Digital HR Leaders podcast. How can people stay in touch with you? Uh, so you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, that's probably the easiest way to get in touch with me. My inbox at IQV is probably jam-packed. Uh, <laughs> so, but yeah, it's been nice to be here. So thank you for having me. Karen, thank you very much and take care for the rest of the day. Thank you, you too. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. You can subscribe via your podcast app of choice. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show on your podcast app and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make the podcast. If you haven't already, do check out the My HR Future Academy at myhrfuture.com. It's a learning experience platform for HR professionals looking to get certified in people analytics, digital HR and workforce planning. You can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter by going to the My HR Future website. That's all for this episode, but please make sure you tune in next week when we'll be hearing from Alexis Sosignor, Group Head of People Data and Technology at Merck about why bringing people data, analytics and technology together enables scale, business value and enhances employee experience. So don't miss that one. Until then, stay safe, stay well and I'll see you next time.